Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holmes. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Good to see you this morning. Yes, thank you for being here. We are just commenting on here in Brookings that you may be listening from somewhere other than Brookings, but we have a snowy, snowy wonderland out there, don't we? And we knew that the flakes were going to fall, but I feel like we all woke up yesterday morning. I, 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 for one, was not mentally prepared for what we see on the ground right now. So yes. here we are. Find all those hats and mittens and boots and <laughs> mm-hmm. get ready My for that. My kids were excited. So, you know, one lovely thing about kids is that they're, they have a positive spin on the, the new snow. That but. is right. A different perspective than um, some of us adults, and it's good to have that different perspective. We may have even had some Christmas music in our house yesterday. You know what? <laughs> Anything goes this year, Laura. If Christmas music makes you happy when it's snowing right. in October, I say go for it. Right. I know. <laughs> so hopefully we'll get a little warmer weather again, but it's all right for now. <laughs> well, our Prairie Doc topic this week, um, we're focusing on lungs. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to, your television show this week, it'll be about lungs as well. You want to tell us a little bit about how you kind of selected this topic and wanted to spend some time yeah. discussing it? You know, I think Prairie Doc does a, a, an episode on lung health every year. There mm-hmm. are a lot of common things that go on as far as lung health that um, people have a lot of questions about, things like COPD um, and other uh, breathing issues. Um, our guest that's going to be up from Yankton tomorrow is Dr. Uh, Michael Pietala. He's been a many-time guest on the show and a friend of the show, and he's a pulmonologist and critical care specialist in Yankton. Um this year is unique because we have another sort of topic on our mind that relates to pulmonary medicine, and that's COVID-19. And um, I think it's a timely week to be having an update about that, and I'm sure that'll be something that we talk a lot about on the show tomorrow, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, we are here to talk about lung issues or any other medical issues you'd like to talk about. So if you want to give us a call, we'll give you some time to do that as we take our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. The five major symptoms of a heart attack are chest pain or discomfort in the center or left side of the chest that lasts for more than a few minutes or goes away and comes back. The discomfort can feel like uncomfortable pressure, squeezing, fullness, or pain. You might feel weak, lightheaded, or faint. You might even break out into a cold sweat. You may have pain or discomfort in the jaw, neck, or back. You may have pain or discomfort in one or both shoulders. Shortness of breath may come with the chest discomfort. Other symptoms of a heart attack could include unusual or unexplained tiredness and nausea or vomiting. Women are more likely to have these symptoms. Call 911 if you notice symptoms of a heart attack. Promoting health and safety. The Avera Medical Group, Brookings. 
Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. This week, our Prairie Doc topic is focusing on our lungs and lung health. And as Dr. Evans was saying before our break, um, COVID is a whole new issue that we think about when we think about lung health now. Yeah, yeah. It's at the forefront of all of our minds, you know, as fatigued as we might be about it. Um, and, you know, right now in South Dakota, we're not doing very well when it comes to COVID. I think you're going to hear a lot of people like me really push as we go into winter um, to get, get, worried again about social distancing and masking and all of the things that everybody is tired of hearing. I get it. You know, our, we're not built to change and sustain change for as long as we've had to. Um, but our hospital numbers have really gone up. Um, those of us that work in healthcare have seen a lot of sick people in the last couple of weeks. Um, and we're worried about it. We're, we're worried now about what we were worried about in March and April, mm-hmm. which is our hospitals being strained um, because we're, we're seeing that uh, have the potential to become a reality locally in South Dakota. Um, so I, you know, you're ad, ad nauseum. I'm sure there are a lot of people sick of all of us my, talking about this, but it's going to be a hard winter mm-hmm. staying indoors and probably having a lot of events canceled and having to modify how we celebrate our holidays and, and all of these things. Um, but we're in a place that we really need to be thinking about that right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice. These warmer months mm-hmm. provided us some opportunities to be outside and social distance and things like that. And um, even my, in my personal life, I'm trying to figure out some creative ways to social distance and safely see a few people that I love. But how I it's trickier and we'll have to just kind of right. figure that out I know. now. I know. I think we are like, going to have to get through this winter and, and make some sacrifices that mm-hmm. way because it, it is going to be harder. I agree. It was mm-hmm. nice to be able to see people and feel more comfortable when you could distance and be outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that indoor events are higher risk. Um, and and we, we don't have a lot of choices about uh, right. having events outdoors for most <laughs> of the winter in South Dakota. So um, we're going to have to we're going to have to just change what we do this year. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're talking about COVID and the lungs, we're mm-hmm. learning more about COVID all the time. What what do we know now about how COVID typically affects lungs? Yeah. So um, I would say as far as the acute illness, not a ton has changed. We, it, As we know, there's a huge variety in how sick people get with this virus. And that's true with some other viruses too. It's true with influenza. We've always had a small segment of population that gets very sick with influenza. Um, but it's the COVID, there's more severity and there's higher numbers that experience severe disease. Um, and so again, some people will, some people will not have any lung symptoms. Interestingly, okay. some people will have, as we know, some people have no symptoms at all, but some people mm-hmm. have headache and sore throat and fever and, and those sort of flu-like symptoms. Um, the people that do end up in the hospital needing oxygen, what seems to happen is a very 
robust inflammatory response to having the virus in the lungs, meaning your immune system is attacking the lungs in a way that causes a lot of inflammation and fluid to be in the lungs um, that isn't supposed to be there. And this is a process that can happen from a lot of diseases, but certainly there's a segment of people that get this COVID-19 virus and and get a really robust inflammatory response that results in what we call ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. And those are the people that are, you know, in in the hospitals right now with this virus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard of, you know, friends and people who've had COVID, you go just going up the stairs sometimes, Mm -hmm. they would just feel winded. Yeah. So your lungs just can't work Right. And so, you know, there are some people that you're right, aren't as sick, sick enough to be in the hospital, but still do have that shortness of breath and exercise intolerance. The verdict is still out as far as longer term effects. I mean, we get a lot of case reports about patients who get this virus and maybe they weren't ever terribly sick. These are people mm-hmm. that maybe weren't in the hospital, but seem to have some exercise intolerance and fatigue that lasts for weeks or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's going to be, again, more time to study those patients and that what we'd call a phenotype of the disease um, and how common that is. But anecdotally, we do hear that from people mm-hmm. okay. that they just don't, they aren't able to return to their prior level of activity very quickly. Got it. Yeah. It's quite a bit of time. Yeah. Months even. So, some, in some right? cases, for yeah. Some. Mm-hmm. Um, you were mentioning earlier, sometimes we use oxygen to help people who are having issues. Um, how does that work? How does that help us in mm-hmm. those situations? Yeah. So um, for the people that are very sick, and mm-hmm. so the one thing I would say is a, a high majority of people will do fine at home. If you have cough and fever and those kinds of things, most of those people can t- triage at home. If you're feeling short of breath, that's mm-hmm. probably when you should at least make a phone call to, to consider being evaluated or if it's severe, be seeing in, in the emergency room. Really, the only way to know which patients need to be in the hospital is for someone to assess them in person and get what we call pulse oximetry or see what your oxygen level is. Okay. And there are some people who have bought oximeters and have them at home. Okay. We have some home health programs in which um, patients can, if they are diagnosed with COVID and have high risk, mm-hmm. but they're able to be treated at home, at least on initial evaluation, we might send them an oximeter to use and check their home oxygen levels. Because really a decreased oxygen level is one of the main reasons that we would hospitalize people for this. Okay. Or if they're working too hard to breathe such that we're worried they can't keep doing it all on their own. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, and then there's various levels of oxygen that people need. So, you know, the classic oxygen that people get when they're in the hospital is by nasal cannula, you know, the little two tubes that stick in your nostrils, and we can deliver small amounts of oxygen that way. Sometimes that's all that people need. Okay. The most extreme is intubation and being on a mechanical ventilator. And then there's there's places in between there. So um, in a lot of these patients, we use something that's called high flow nasal oxygen. And that's a, it's a newer technology. Um, it's something that's delivered through the nostrils. It's not a ventilator and it's not a big mask, but it can deliver high concentrations of oxygen. And so it's, it's something that we're using more frequently with this disease that helps us avoid having to put patients on like a BiPAP or CPAP or worse on the ventilator. Um, but you'll see, you know, that's something that we haven't necessarily used 
for a lot of other reasons, nearly as much as we're using with COVID um, mm -hmm. now. But a lot of people in the hospital might find themselves in that in-between range. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've been hearing a lot about ventilators, but could you just describe a little bit about what they do and how they work? Yeah. So a classic ventilator, you know, patients may have encountered this when they had a surgery. You know, you get put on a ventilator when you're out with general anesthesia and aren't breathing on your own. Um, when people are put on a ventilator for acute respiratory illness um, like this, what happens is, you know, first is intubation. And, and that just means the, the act of putting a tube down into the throat, into what we call the, the, the um, trachea, um, where that oxygen gets delivered. It kind of takes that space from the mouth down here, which is more variable out of question. And so the tube gets lodged in the throat. People are generally sedated or even more asleep when they're on a ventilator because generally an awake person on a ventilator doesn't do very well. It's obviously a very agitating thing. And so mm -hmm. people, they, their breath isn't synchronous. And so most people are pretty heavily sedated when they're on a ventilator so that they're not um, working against the machine. And then what a ventilator does, there's a lot of different settings. So it's fairly sophisticated, but essentially the things that you choose are to choose how fast breaths are delivered, okay. how big of breaths are delivered, the type of the, the amount of pressure with which each breath is delivered and the concentration of oxygen that's going in for, through the machine. Okay. And those are all variables that you can control with the machine. And it, it depends a little bit on exactly what the lungs are doing and the reason someone's on a ventilator, um, why you might choose different settings on those. And there are certain things that we know um, tend to work better with this disease and diseases like it um, as far as those settings go. Okay. Yeah. Right. As, as you're saying that and how it's, you know, a complicated machine, yeah. obviously, mm -hmm. um, we're hearing more about how important it is to keep our, that as we worry about treating people we're not just worried about space and ventilators how important it is to have trained staff available yes. to right do all these things and i think when we were sort of in crisis mode and um we were worried about things like ppe and number of ventilators early on mm -hmm. i agree you don't hear a lot of talk about that any longer and i think anyone who's actually worked in an icu knows that it's not just the presence of the ventilator you know you can't just pull even a well-trained nurse who doesn't work in the icu with ventilators that's not like they can just be pulled and automatically right can be uh, proficient in doing that um and i i would say another limitation and especially in smaller communities, really having um, someone on a ventilator requires a proficient respiratory therapist. And that's an entirely different staff type and, mm -hmm. and their training path um, in, in the right numbers to support that. Mm -hmm. So you really need well-trained RTs and nursing staff and physicians to be able to care for patients that are that sick. Right, mm -hmm. right. Very good. Well, thank you for that update and discussion yeah. on COVID and how that affects our lungs when we think of lung health more in general. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. 
Being alone or with very limited social interactions during the pandemic can be difficult. With some effort on your part, there are some ways to decrease the effects of isolation. Keep a schedule. Stay active. Do something meaningful like working on your genealogy or organizing photo albums. Connect with others by letter, email, phone, Zoom, or try online games. Find comfort in old movies or lighting a candle and having a cup of tea. These are just a few ideas to get you thinking. You can do this. If you find your loneliness getting out of hand with feelings of depression, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We're talking about lungs and how important they are to our bodies and... um, how COVID is kind of a new thing we have to um, navigate um, Mm -hmm. when we think about lung health. Um, We did have a question come in from a caller. Um, The question is, can doctors prescribe marijuana today if it's not legal? So the short answer is no, Laura. So there's a variety of, you know, legal statuses of marijuana based on the state that you're in in the U.S. And currently in South Dakota, it's not legal for medical use nor um, recreational use. So the answer is no in South Dakota. I would say I trained in Colorado. And when I started my um, residency in Colorado, they had legal medical marijuana. And about halfway through my training, is when Colorado legalized recreational marijuana too. What I would say is, at least when I was in Colorado and it was medical only, most doctors also didn't prescribe medical marijuana. Um, There was kind of a small number of physicians who um, did that and that was a lot of what they did. So, you know, it's not like in those states, I'm sure it's variable. Yep. But it's not like every primary care provider is someone that um, is either certified or willing to write prescriptions for medical marijuana, even in those states. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's very much a state by state. I'm sure it's something that's being talked about a lot because it's on our ballot in South Dakota um, mm-hmm. in both cases um, this year. But the status quo is no, I can't um, prescribe or recommend marijuana in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. OK, correct. All right. Well, as we think about lung health, um, obviously, a big issue we think about is smoking yes. and how that affects our Yeah. Health. And I, you know, this, compared to decades ago, this is common knowledge that smoking can cause a lot of deleterious health effects. And certainly the lungs are maybe the most um, closely linked and obvious with some diseases. As in some, in primary care, um, I think smoking cessation is one place where I, I feel like I can make a huge difference just because we know how much we can reduce people's risk, not only of lung problems, but cardiovascular problems and, and various cancer risks over their lifetime if we are able to help them quit smoking. But it's hard. I mean, smoke, quitting smoking is legitimately hard when it's studied. A lot of people are not successful the first time, the second time, and um, it's it's physiologically challenging. So, and, and mm-hmm. why is it so hard? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's more than one issue, but certainly yeah. nicotine as a substance is very highly addictive, mm-hmm. and and certain people are more prone to having more problems with nicotine addiction, addiction than others. You know, I've I've had some patients who'd say, well, once I decided to quit, I just quit, and it wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a minority of people. I mean, most people do struggle a lot with um, the the initial nicotine withdrawal. 
And then, you know, a lot of people who have smoked for years and decades, there's a lot of, you know, just addiction psychology, I think that goes into it too. But um, it's a it's a highly addictive substance. And so for most people, it is hard. And so as someone who's never been a smoker, um, I, I think it's important for people like me to be able to empathize with that because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just a lack of will in most cases. It is legitimately very difficult. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel like when we were in high school and such, there were really strong public health campaigns to ask teenagers to not start smoking. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's still happening. I'm not that target audience anymore. But do you see many young, many new smokers? Or is it usually people who started the habit a long time ago? Yeah. I mean, well, in my patient population, just because I do tend to see older patients, it's a lot of people who have smoked for a long period of time in their lives. I think a lot of public messaging in that young age group now has to do with vaping because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of concern that, um, unfortunately vaping as as an industry has kind of targeted young people mm-hmm. um, and vaping uses nicotine among other chemicals in those products which is no less addictive than the nicotine in cigarettes so um, a, a big public health concern is that we're going to get young people addicted to vaping and you know we don't know the long-term health effects of vaping that mm-hmm. that verdict's still out but that those patients may you know become addicted to nicotine through vaping and then also you know switch to cigarettes or switch in between to the things that we would like them not to do so right yeah and mm-hmm. vaping has led to some complications for lung issues for young people too yeah so this was early I guess it was in 2019 I think was the big cluster of cases in which there was this vaping induced lung injury um, it was in the news and there were you know there are cases all over the U.S. a lot of them um, linked back to a certain product type um which was not a commercial product type. Um, so I think that the, we still don't necessarily know exactly what component in those things that those those kids that got very sick mm-hmm. were vaping, what the common issue was. But yeah, those people had critical lung illness and were on a mechanical ventilator, some of them. Um, but I think there were some in the hundreds of cases mm-hmm. with that cluster. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. Yeah. Well, talking about um, smoking and uh, wanting to quit smoking, uh, Dr. Evans had an essay in this week's Brookings Register, um, or you could also find it online at prairiedoc.org in our blog, discussing the psychology of smoking cessation and um, kind of the step-by-step stages of that, which I found Mm -hmm. really interesting to just think about and understand. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about this model? Yeah. So, you know, this is a, a psychologic model and it was, it was developed and related to, in relation to smoking cessation, like all psycho psychologic models, mm-hmm. there's, it's not without controversy. Like this is, you know, there's not, this isn't hard and fast, um, mm-hmm. you know, science, but I really find it helpful as I try to help people. Um, and I think it may, it's maybe helpful if you have a loved one who smokes or has another addiction and you have a hard time understanding and, and trying to motivate people towards behavior change. Um, the, probably the most helpful part is to know that if someone is not ready to commit to quitting smoking on their own, mm-hmm. probably no amount of work on my part is likely to change that. You know, the, things like quitting smoking are difficult enough that you can't enforce it from the outside. You know, mm-hmm. so, so just taking that off 
my emotional load, I find helpful for me as a physician. You know, it's it's the the patient has to have their their own internal motivation and readiness. Otherwise, it's just very hard to be successful. It's mm-hmm. too hard. Right. So you talk and, about in that stage, that mm-hmm. pre-contemplative stage, you can plant seeds yeah. and express that it's a good idea to maybe right. stop smoking. And I, I think, yeah, I, and people know that. Yes. Like, I, like we talked mm-hmm. about, it's not like there's a lack of knowledge among people. Um, but also in my patients, I just like to sort of open the door, know that it's a safe place to discuss, know that I, you know, even if they're still smoking next time, I, you know, I'm not going to be mad at them. I want right. them to come back. I want them to know that I'm there for them if the time comes, you know, in six months or six years or whatever, that they're ready, um, that, that I want to talk about it. And yeah. if you don't ask the question, then you don't catch people when they are um, mm. in that stage of readiness too. Mm-hmm. So another message that I always give to medical students, et cetera, is in patients who smoke, ask every time because you just, you know, sometimes there there are inner workings and sometimes you might catch them at a time that it's really fruitful to have that discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about the the preparation stage Um and I, and I hadn't really thought about how that might be really important. Instead of just saying, okay, I'm ready to quit smoking today, maybe you need to take some time to prepare um, a strategy yeah. <laughs> so that you can be successful. Yeah, and so I, I encourage people to talk about this. And, you know, like I said, there are some people who just decide they can, they're ready and they do it and they are successful, and that's great. A lot of folks, it's helpful to sort of – give them the um get the things that we know statistically tend to work better than others so one common thing that has sort of been debunked i hear a lot of people come in and they say well yeah i'm still smoking but i'm cutting down and i'm trying to you know i'm only smoking a half a pack or you know i'm only smoking five cigarettes a day when i used to smoke a pack a day Generally speaking, the sort of the the model of gradually cutting down to quitting is not as successful as quit just setting a quit date and going from smoking to not smoking. Okay, and that probably has to do partly with psychology um, and just having that sort of plan and accountability in mind that on this date I am going to be done smoking and I'm going to spread the word and I'm going to have accountability for it and that kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. If you have any other questions you'd like Dr. Evans to discuss today, give us a call at 605-692-1430. Attention drivers, there are many bikers on the road. Please remember these rules. Share the road. Bicyclists have the same rights to the road as motor vehicles do. It is the law to allow three feet between your car and the bicyclist. Give bicyclists space on the road. When turning right, look right before proceeding. Always check the sidewalks as well as the traffic lanes when merging or turning. Slow down and watch for pedestrians and bicyclists. The Avera Medical Group Brookings encourages drivers as well as bikers to help prevent accidents. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions. We've been talking about lung health today, and uh, most recently we've been talking about smoking and how difficult it is to quit, but Mm -hmm. it's not impossible. No, it can be done. (laughs) Yes. What are some of the common reasons that you've seen 
um, that motivate people to quit smoking? Um, So, yeah, I've had a, I would say some themes that I see are if people have a health scare, sometimes that gives them intrinsic motivation. Maybe they're hospitalized for lung illness or have a heart attack and, and they come out feeling ready to change because of that health scare that they've had. Um, Rarely is it external, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not, you know, often people will say, well, my spouse wants me to quit or my kids want me to quit, but that usually isn't the only thing that helps people quit. I would say I've seen a lot of people that are in times of transition of their lives. Maybe they're retiring from a job or changing job or changing living situations. And they find that as a good opportunity to make that big change in their lives too. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's always a good time to try to. If if you feel ready, Mm -hmm. then it's give it a try. And, and I don't be, don't be discouraged if you're not successful the first time, because like I said, it's hard. And sometimes it just takes multiple times getting back on that horse. Right. Yeah. Well, before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, Prairie Doc hosts Kelly Evans-Hollinger and pulmonologist Michael Patela address the topic of lung health and answer viewer questions. Watch the full episode this Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow The Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.